With all the influences going on in culture today about the Bible, the Bible is the best-selling book that has ever hit the newsstands, and yet it receives a lot of criticism, not just from skeptics, but also evangelical scholars. On the Let's Get Real podcast, what I want to do is I want to begin a series about the Bible. I want to talk about what it is and the problems that we are having in the church about accepting it as God's Word. My name is Rob Lundberg, and you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. And you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Thank you for tuning in. It's been a few weeks. And of course, we've had birthdays in the family. And I needed a a week hiatus just because of just subject matter as far as things that have been I've been bombarded with as far as where to take this this show. And one of the things I'm noticing in the church is that we really don't know the Bible. I've said it. You know, we've had poor discipleship over the last several years where our our music in the church reflects passages out of context, passages misuse. And, of course, I could do a whole series on the problems with the church music today being man-centered and uh, poor poor, uh, biblical doctrine, even to the point of it being heretical. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that at least right now. What I want to do is I want us to reorient ourselves uh, on the Bible. You know, the Bible is probably one of the most criticized books by skeptics. It is probably one of the most rejected books by atheists. It is challenged in many academic circles, including the whole issue of inerrancy, which I'm not going to deal with today. I'm not going to deal with that, but I am going to go there. And I will probably make enemies when I do this if if the audience is wide, but um, I really don't care. (laughs) Uh, I really don't care. Uh, I've become a little bit um, sociopathic on this. And, And I'll tell you why. I understand why I believe the Bible, and I understand why or what the nature of the Bible is. First off, the Bible is a reliable collection of historical books, 66 of them. It's not one book, but it's 66 different books with various genres from historical narratives to prophetic, to wisdom literature, to gospels, to epistles, and even apocalyptic literature and prophetic literature. But it's a reliable collection of 66 books that were written by eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses to the events. What events, Rob? The events of God's intervention in the lives of Israel and the early church. 
It's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, meaning that those eyewitnesses actually knew other eyewitnesses, prophets, contemporaries, gospel writers, Paul's letters. Paul knew James, knew Peter. Peter's got letters. James has letters. Even Jude. And folks, what we have today is a lack of knowledge on what it says. Oh, sure, we'll throw passages out that we're very familiar with to encourage one another, and that's all fine, well, and good. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I think that's fantastic. But do we really know what it says? A lot of times you will see something in the Christian bookstores, if you still have any brick-and-mortar bookstores today in our secular culture, and you'll see passages that are used as a means of encouragement, but they're actually taken out of context. And including Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, uh, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. You know that passage right there, right? So what I want to do is I want to deal with this. And, the, and what prompted me on this was uh, a neighbor of mine asked me some questions. And of course, you know, I've had conversations with... Uh, uh, in, in question and answer sessions and events that I've gone and done uh, speaking on the subject of the Bible. And at one point in time, I had a question and answer session where this lady was actually wrapped up in what the Discovery Channel has to say about the Bible. And she was actually had a fancy to the History Channel and the Discovery Channel for their documentaries on religious matters and asked two very probing questions. One of those, which I will delve into in this episode here, and maybe I'll get into the other one. And that is the fact that, okay, I've told you what the Bible is, but I need to go and expand on that first. It's a reliable collection of historical documents that were written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. And these writers wrote about supernatural events that are in direct fulfillment to specific prophecies. And we see some of those prophecies actually happening today when it comes to over in Israel and the Middle East. Things like going on in Turkey with Erdogan trying to go and revive the old Ottoman Empire and, and other things that are going on with, in, with regards to Damascus. And that prophecy is probably on the verge of fulfillment. However... It's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, and they record or they write supernatural events that are in direct fulfillment to specific prophecies. And each of these writers claimed that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. And I'll deal with that part a little bit later in another episode. But it was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, three different countries, uh, continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa. A span of 1,500 years total. And now, I believe that the Bible was completed, the New Testament was completed well before the end of the first century, and that the Gospels are early, not late. And I started to tell you just a moment ago that uh, what prompted me on this was a conversation I had with a neighbor who had been reading Bart Ehrman's Misquoting Jesus or something like that. 
And he challenged me on these questions. And of course, I'll get into the authenticity and the reliability on another podcast episode later. But what I want to do is I just want to whet your appetite today and deal with just why 66 books. And then what I'm going to do probably next week or the next episode is I'll deal with the Apocrypha and why those books are not to be in the canon. Now, with reference to the 66 books, let me give us some preliminaries here. You know, some of us may have heard of this term called canon, okay? And I'm not talking C-A-N-N-O-N. I'm talking about C-A-N-O-N. But have not really an idea of what that term means. The word canon actually refers to a standard or a list of in, or an index of standard books. And when we apply this to the Bible, or what we also call the scripture, Christian scriptures, of course, it means an officially accepted list of books. And the important thing that we need to include here, or what we need to keep in the forefront of our minds, is that the church did not create the canon, or the the books themselves that we now know as scripture. You see, The early Christian church recognized that the books were inspired from their very inception. And the church did not make them inspired. They were inspired by God when they were written. It's the word theonustos, or all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Theonustos is the Greek word, which means God breathed. And when we talk about the need for a standard of books, why do we need a standard of books? Well, There are several factors here that need to be taken into consideration and brought to the forefront as to the need of the standard of these set of books. Now, when we say that uh, the standard of books are the standard and that there's nothing else, I, I think that's very, very, very important. When we address this, I want to say first that there were a couple factors that gave rise to the Old Testament canon. Now, my my conversant uh, a few days ago asked about the Old Testament, and the first one was the fact that the Jews were scattered after the destruction of Jerusalem of A.D. 70, and there was a great need for them to determine which books of antiquity for that time were authoritatively considered the Word of God. Okay, now there's another factor here that I want to bring in. This is a, a second one, and that is for the, for the need for the Old Testament standard was the fact that the Christian church was growing in the first century, and even is still growing today. And there came a need for the Jews back then to reject anything that was not of their own coming out of the Christian church. You know, those Christians, I'll tell you, you know, they got all these these standard writings and stuff, and that's not under the law. That's not of Moses. That's not the prophets. And that's not the wisdom writings. Okay, so they had to set a, a line of demarcation, if you will, with reference to what would be considered Jewish works and what would be considered works of the church. The New Testament, on the other hand, was fa- had faced a lot of adversity, which brought forth the need for the canon of scriptures that could be considered even authoritative. And there were essentially three reasons. And the first reason is that 
there was a lot of heresy flying around. There was a heretic by the name of Marcion who lived around circa A.D. 140, and he had developed his own canon, uh, which began, and, and, and when he wrote that standard, he, he created a lot of havoc in the church to basically propagate his work. Secondly, many of the Eastern churches were using books in their worship services that were certainly spurious documents. And then thirdly, there came from Rome an edict of Diocletian, A.D. 303, who declared that the destruction of all the sacred books of the Christians, including any authoritative scrolls. The early church father, Eusebius, writes the following in his History of the Church, Volume uh, eight and or chapter eight and verse or, or, or entry two, he says it was the nineteenth year of Diocletian's reign, AD three o three, in the month of Distress, called March by the Romans, and the festival of the Savior's Passion, which is what we know as the arrest, uh, persecution, whipping, and crucifixion of Jesus. Okay. Uh, and the festival of the, of the Savior's Passion was approaching. This is long after, this is centuries after, when an imperial decree was published everywhere ordering the churches to be raised, R-A-Z-E-D, and that means leveled or destroyed, raised to the ground, and the scriptures destroyed by fire, giving notice to those in places of honor and would lose their places and domestic staff, if they continued to profess Christianity and would be deprived of their liberty, such was the first edict against us, Eusebius being a Christian, him saying, including himself there, soon afterwards other decrees arrived in rapid succession, ordering that the presidents or pastors of the churches in every place should all be committed to prison and then coerced by every possible means into offering sacrifice, Sacrifice to what? Well, the pagan deities, or to Caesar. The early church father Athanasius tells us in his festal letter of A.D. 367 and list of 27 books, which were the same exact books in the current New Testament canon that we have today. Justin Martyr, earlier in A.D. 150, in his first apology, or his first apologia, which is a defense, confers that on the day called Sunday, which is the first day of the week, there is a gathering together in one place of all those who live in cities or in the country, and the memoirs of the apostles, well, the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Why? Because they were under Roman rule. And if they're under Roman rule, they find, the Roman government finds out that they are uh, reading the, the apostles, reading the gospels, reading whatever has been written at the time, um, they could end up arrested or even put on cross uh, on crosses. But going back, I'm, I'm kind of adding commentary here. But uh, the memoirs of the apostles or the prophets are read as long as time permits, and when the reader has ceased, the the pastor or president they call them presidents, probably better presidents than what we have today presents admonition or invitation to the imitation of these good things, okay? Now, that is what they called early first century biblical preaching. And I'll tell you, a lot of pastors today are weak in that. A lot of pastors like Joel Osteen uh, makes it a stump speech, and some of his cronies like um, 
Stephen Furtick, T.D. Jakes, Danny Floyd, locally here uh, in this area, who's a disciple of Joel Osteen and 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 Stephen Furtick. These folks uh, are very weak, along with other pastors of their ilk, are very weak because basically what they're doing is they are giving their opinion of what the Scripture says when we really should be dealing with what does it say, what does it mean, and how do I apply it, or how does it apply to my life? And it is still relevant today. Now, there are some things with regards to Justin Martyr, as as early and late as Athanasius, the early church had recognized a set of standard of authoritative works, right, ranging from what we know as the Old Testament and what we have as the New Testament. But now, with all the background that we have just provided here and on how these books um, were established, how did they become authoritative? That This is the next question. I'll get into authority a little bit more in detail later. But what were the tests with regards to uh, authority? What were the tests for including a work from an ancient writer into the canon of authoritative works. Now, there were essentially five tests that were dealing with the following. First one is authority. Authority. Did the book come with divine, thus saith the Lord? And of course, you know, if you do a, a search through any good Bible software and type, thus saith the Lord, you'd see it all over the place. It also had to have a prophetic element. In other words, there was the book written by somebody who had um, been considered a man of God. Now, can I have new scripture today that would fall under the same standard? The answer to that question is no, because the canon is not open. It is closed. And I'll get to that in just a second. Then you also have authenticity. The early church used the principle what is common today. If in doubt, toss it aside or throw it out. Fourthly, there was a dynamic aspect to this. Did the work have a dynamic quality to it that was evidenced by what we would consider today a life transformation? A lot of people today, they go and they say they read their Bibles, but they don't live like they uh, are reading their Bibles or studying their Bibles. They basically compartmentalize their faith. And I think, first off, folks, before I go and point fingers, I, I, I need to remember that I have, at times, have to have fingers pointed at me as well. Because sometimes what happens is we go and we take the Bible for granted. And oftentimes what happens with that is the fact that we become negligent in living it out it, but we don't we can't live it out if we don't read it, study it and and treat it like what it deserves. Now this dynamic approach, you know is very, very important because if you read the Word of God and if you really study it and you really know what it's saying and what it means and how it applies, it still applies today. Now it doesn't mean that we go out and stone pagans. It doesn't go mean that we go out and stone homosexual homosexuals or false prophets or or diviners or occultists. We don't do that. 
We have the cross. We look back on the cross. We have the grace and the mercy of the cross as far as that is concerned. So there are some things in the Bible that are what we would know in the histories like your uh, Genesis record, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You've got law. But you also have historical narrative in that. But you also have Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. All of those are historical narratives. You have the prophetic writings, and there are no prescriptive passages. Basically, what you have are descriptive events and descriptive tellings of what God's intervention through the prophets was in the life of the nation of Israel. Now, here's the thing, and I'll get into interpretation and hermeneutics in another one, because folks, I'm going into this hammer and tong. I just want to let you know. And if it gets you upset, I really don't care. You have to, you take it up with Jesus, okay? Take it up with God, because we have to understand that the times in which we live in, folks, our country is going sideways, and it's going to hell in a handbasket. I actually believe that we are under the judgment of God because of the very fact that uh, God has turned us over to a depraved mind, and he's gone and turned us over to sexual immorality, and he's also gone and turned uh, over those to those who approve of the previous two. But fifthly, was it received and collected and read and used? Was it accepted by the people of God? And as I just mentioned with, say, like uh, Athanasius and, 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 and Eusebius, this is, you, you can see in their writings. So we can see that there are tests for determining what the Bible is. And folks... If you have not read the Bible, one of the things that I encourage people whenever I go and I have a conversation on the streets of downtown Fredericksburg is if we go and we actually get into talking about the Bible and the fact that there's no contradictions in the Bible and the fact that it is inspired and some of the things I've laid out for you here in this episode today, um, I would encourage you to find a good Bible plan, or even if you're not looking to read a a um, do like a a reading through the Bible, I'm going to still recommend a, a Bible plan. But let me first, before I even recommend that Bible plan, I want to encourage you to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Don't read anything else. Just read. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Don't do it in one setting. Maybe read a chapter of Matthew, but go through there, and as you do, as you do, I want you to pray and ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. And if he doesn't do it after the first round of going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, do it again. Now, if you are interested in reading the Bible through, there is a Bible plan, a Bible reading plan called the Berean Plan. And what that does is 
it takes you through the Old Testament in one year, fully through the year. It takes you through the Psalms four times a year. Four times a year? Yeah, four times a year. It takes you through the, the New Testament twice. And it takes you through the Proverbs 12 times a year, figure 30 days in a, in a month. And if you get to like a leap year, then you get two chapters on the last day, three chapters on the last day, 29, 30, 31. Or if you have a 30-day month, you're reading 30, 31. Or if you are 30 days, have September, April, June, and November. So those are th- you're reading two chapters on the 30th of the month. But on the 30 months of where there's 31, you go through it in all in one month. And, and you don't skip a beat. And if you do skip a beat, don't panic. You're not going to lose your salvation if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. I want to encourage you that if you do not have this Berean plan, I want to ask you to email me at roblundberg315, and we will produce a copy for you and get it to you in a PDF. I think I already have it in a PDF, so... What you would do is email me at roblundberg315 at gmail.com and I will send it to you in a PDF. I promise. If you are really interested in reading the Bible through, email me and I will get it to you. But if you are still skeptical about the Bible, I, I understand. I am a former skeptic myself over 40 years ago, and I thought that the Bible was full of myths and fairy tales and all this other stuff, but I don't believe that anymore. And as I shared with you a little bit today, that the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses recording for supernatural events that are in direct fulfillment to specific prophecies And these writers claim that the writings are divine rather than human origin. And then you've also got the three different languages of Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. You've got 1,500 years of eyewitness testimony, direct eyewitness testimony for that matter. And of course, you've got different types of eyewitness testimony. You've got circumstantial evidence and direct evidence. They have the direct evidence, folks. We have the circumstantial evidence, as I will defend in the coming episodes on the Bible. So I want to thank you for listening to this episode today. Uh, If you do have any questions, if you have anything that you want to take issue with me on, I would invite you to email me at roblundberg315 at gmail.com. And you know, sometimes I get involved in conversations with people, and folks, I will tell you, I love a good conversation. I love a good conversation because I don't go Westboro Baptist Church in that conversation. I want to hear where you're coming from. I want to understand where you're coming from so I can help you navigate through those questions. So as you go out this week, as you go and live out your day and live it out day to day, and if you're a believer, know first off that you are his ambassador for Christ. You have been reconciled to him through the cross, through the resurrection, justified by 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 the gavel, the down gavel of God declaring you not guilty. And folks, as you go out this week, go out and give them heaven. God bless you. We'll be back next week with another episode about the Bible. 
And again, I apologize for three weeks or two weeks or however many weeks as far as is not being on there. So if you subscribe, I, I, I apologize, but I'm not going to backdate this one to uh, the other one so that you think that you missed. I'm just going to go and I'm going to drive on here. I ask your forgiveness and we are going to deal with well, the reality of the Bible. So until next week, go out, give them heaven, God bless you, and pray for us as we move forward in this series. God bless you.